Hi everyone, and welcome to my sauntering podcast. My name is Paul White, and I live in a gorgeous place called Weymouth. And this podcast is a collection of saunters that were born in lockdown, but it's also got some additional stuff which is just fresh, hot off the press. praying that you'll be really blessed and that God will speak into your heart as we take this journey together. So please go ahead and hit the subscribe button to keep updated with the very latest sauntering podcasts. Good morning dear friends and saunterers. Welcome to another saunter in the garden with the sound of the birds and the love of my lovely little robin singing away. And we're in Luke chapter 8 today. So we're looking at Dr. Luke and how he reports on his relationship with this miracle worker, this itinerant miracle worker, Jesus, who turns up in his life and changes his whole world. And so we're going to pray. Jesus, we love you and we invite you to speak to us today through these words. Lord, we believe that you are alive and that you can speak to us and that you want to speak to us. So come on, we invite you. Amen. Good morning, Kathy. And uh, so here we go in Luke chapter 8. It says that soon afterward... He went on through cities and villages proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God and the twelve were with him and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, or Chusa, Chusa, Herod's household manager (coughs) and Susanna and many others who provided for them out of their means. Really, really interesting. So, we hear a lot about the 12 apostles, don't we? The 12 disciples who became known as the 12 apostles. Good morning, Deepak. But here Luke is particularly giving us a little insight into Jesus's entourage. And so we realise that... um, Sorry, Cathy, it might be the signal might be a bit feeble it looks all right here um uh it says that so so we get so used to hearing about these men that we forget that or maybe overlook that there were a significant number of women as part of jesus's entourage as well now he's he doesn't hasn't called any of this particular group of women to be apostles although it does appear that there are women apostles who pop up later in like in the book of Romans and so on but here these people are interesting because Luke the doctor points out that they've been healed of many of them have are following Jesus because they've been healed of specific infirmities and evil spirits affliction by evil spirits And he talks about Mary Magdalene. We know of Mary Magdalene. She's got a kind of quite a prestigious place in Christian. um, What's the word? 
Christian mythology because there's a she's mythologized a lot. We don't know so much about her. We just know that she was um, she was a ardent follower of Jesus and she'd been set free from seven demons and no wonder she loved him because these demons had obviously afflicted her but we don't know much more about her we certainly don't know that she was a prostitute or anything like that and there are all kinds of things woven in people believe all kinds of things about Mary we don't really know so much other than she was an ardent follower and absolutely loved Jesus and was the first one um, in the garden looking for him that morning of the resurrection and but we have here Joanna the wife of Chusa Herod's household manager and Susa, Susanna these women are clearly women of status and um, social position and they're people with money they've got money to to invest in this itinerant preacher and so they, they seem to be supporting Jesus and his crew at this time so that's really really interesting and I think the Bible um, is often accused of being misogynistic but actually at the same time I think it's you know whilst it is accused of those things and there are some difficult passages that relate to women there are also some incredible passages that talk about women of independent means who've made their choice and they're following Jesus as individuals it's not because their husbands are disciples it's because they've made that choice to follow him and we don't know <coughs> so much about them all but it's fascinating to see that Jesus had these women who traveled with him and his disciples and they also supported him and them as well financially because any team needs money they need to eat and they need to you know function don't they so um and that's so cool verse four and when a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him he said in a parable a sower went to, out to sow his seed so this is a farmer or a farm laborer going out to scatter seed on the ground and the normal method for for generations has been to have a bag or a basket of seed and you throw it out in a red regular movement and scatter it over whatever ground there is and that's called broadcasting and that is the normal way that's that was the normal way that corn was planted so a sower went out to sow his seed and as he sowed some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot and the birds of the air devoured it and some fell on the rock and as it grew up it withered away because it had no moisture and some fell among thorns and the thorns grew up with it and choked it and some fell onto the good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold as he said these things he called out he who has ears to hear let him hear now I wonder if that's a corny joke he who has ears because it's all about corn he's growing sorry just wondering whether Jesus is having a bit of fun he's saying like these are this is about ears of corn growing up if you've got ears to hear listen to what I'm saying um Jesus is telling a parable now a parable means <laughs> I was told in Sunday school it's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning and there's something about parables that Jesus is going to tell us about in a minute so and his disciples asked him what this parable meant and he said because we read it and we think oh it's obvious what it means 
we only think is obvious because Jesus has given us the key that makes it obvious. Prior to that, we would have thought interesting and we could have drawn all kinds of conclusions as to what Jesus was particularly getting at. When his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, to you, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others, they are in parables so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. And you think, hold on a minute. What kind of communicator goes out of their way to try to obscure their message? <laughs> Jesus is saying here, the point of the parable is that these the kingdom, these things are secrets. They're mysteries. And he said to you, it's been given to know them. Why? <laughs> Why in particular has it been given to these people to know them, the disciples? Why? Well, I guess they had obeyed his call to follow them, to follow him. And they'd left everything and come with him. But also God had chosen them particularly for a task that lay ahead of them. But there's something about Jesus's restraint and holding back on giving the full measure sometimes and yet he's giving the full measure to the people who want to come after him and find out from him and ask him in secret and so they say so so you know kind of like off camera they ask the question what does it mean and he says there's a purpose in this I'm obscuring the truth from just the casual observer but there's that other scripture, isn't there, where Jesus says, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened unto you. And I think there's something about creating a kind of hunger and the people who hung around Jesus would get the message. But the ones who were just there for a day trip or to get their mother-in-law healed might miss the point of what Jesus was trying to say. Verse 11. Now, the, the parable is this. So here's the key. The seed is the word of God. Ah, I get it. Now it makes sense. The seed... The sower chuck is chucking out of his basket is the word of God. The ones along the path are those have, who have heard. And I think in the course of my life, I've not been a great preacher like Billy Graham. I've not reached millions of people with the message of the gospel. But over the years, I would imagine thousands upon thousands of people have heard the word of God through me. Oh, maybe online, maybe in a meeting that I'm part of or something and it would be arrogant of me to assume that everyone who had heard the message had gone away and become a, a raving disciple of Jesus and followed on full of the fire of the Holy Spirit there would be many many who would fall into some of these categories and so the ones along the path are those who have heard then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved and the ones on the rock are those who when they hear the word receive it with joy but these have no root they believe for a while and in in a time of testing fall away and as for what fell among the thorns they are those who hear but as they go on their way they're choked by the cares of this world and we see that so many times people receive the message they seem to make some progress and then life just grows up around them and kind of takes over takes the priority of the word of god away they become focused on other things and they drift away from that intimacy 
their fruit does not mature. So as for what fell among the thorns, they are like those who hear, but as they go on their way, they're choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life. Sometimes it's good things, it's things that are desirable. Pleasure, riches, you know, there's nothing wrong, inherently wrong with those things, but they can become such a distraction to what God wants to do in our lives with his word. And he says, verse 15, as for those... As for that, in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Just a little side thought on that one. What can I do to make my heart good soil? I guess prepare it. Get the weeds out. Get Let, let the soil be receptive and tilled and responsive so when it when the seed lands on it it's not bouncing off and landing on a hard path but it's landing on soil that's moist and ready and prepared and so when the word of God is coming to me I'm hearing it I'm able to respond with joy and get on with it and allow it to bear fruit in my life which should be really cool verse 16 no one after lighting a lamp covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, that means visible or shown, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. That's really interesting, isn't it? There is a time where every single secret will be opened up to full view. And gosh, we kind of live in those times now, don't we, that many people's deepest, darkest secrets are suddenly all over the news. And you've got these people sitting on a sofa in BBC studio talking about somebody's intimate details of their lives. And it's, man, it's challenging. So we're kind of almost in those times now. He says, For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Take care then how you hear. And I think this harks back to what he was saying there about the seed landing on good soil get your heart ready to so that when you do hear the word of god it goes in and bears fruit and it's that that's bearing fruit rather than the other stuff <clears throat> so he says take care then how you hear for to the one who has more so to the one who has more will be given and from the one who has not even what he thinks that he has will be taken away so this is a hard passage it's like oh that doesn't seem fair. You're going to take away the little bit somebody's got. Surely you're going to give them more so they got more. And Anyway, we can reflect on that one and you can comment in the... By all means, go ahead. Um, verse 19, And then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. This is interesting. And he was told, Your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear my word and do it. Once again, he's coming back to his word. He said, he said before, didn't he, in a couple chapters before, about building our lives on the foundation of God's word. It's like building a house on a good foundation. And storms come, wind comes, floods come, the house stays up. But if it's built on a bad foundation, on a foundation other than his word, it will get washed away. And and he's saying, listen, the, my kin's people, the people who I consider my family, are the ones who take on board what I'm saying and who live it out. Jesus is not 
a narcissist. He's not a person consumed with his own importance that he thinks everybody should be dancing to his tune um, and his words are the only... He is God. That's why he can say these things. And he said, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. And so verse 22 says, one day he got into a boat with his disciples and he said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out and as they sailed, he fell asleep. Because he was tired, probably, with all this busyness. And a windstorm came down on the lake and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him saying, Master, Master, we're perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves and they ceased and there was calm. He said to them, where is your faith? And they were afraid and they marveled saying to one another, who is this then that even who commands even winds and water and they obey him? That is incredible, isn't it? Jesus has authority over inanimate objects as well as, you know, like forces of nature as well as things like sickness. I mean, it's kind of a miracle to me is a miracle is impossible, whatever. And so whether it's a bone, a withered hand growing or a dead person being raised or a storm being calmed or people being fed from very, very small resources, it's a miracle, whatever. And we love it. And Jesus does them. And he is so cool. So, <laughs> but they're amazed. And it's another level of miracle for them. So, verse 26. Then they sailed to the country of Gerezne, whatever that is, Gerezines, which is opposite Galilee. Um, and when Jesus stepped out on the land... There met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes. He had not lived in a house, but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said, said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded, Jesus had commanded, the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him, he was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. That is incredible, isn't it? This poor guy, his whole life was in the hands and at the mercy of these horrible demons who just tore him apart and made him harm himself. And he just couldn't be contained. He was beyond any form of sectioning. He, you know, even the most primitive form with kind of chains and stuff he was he could manage to break the chains it's interesting isn't it now the bible never kind of makes a, a justification for this kind of passage we find it kind of interesting and challenging we kind of think maybe the guy was mentally ill well maybe he was but the bible tells us that he, he had demons as well and it may be the demons who were making him mentally ill or or whatever or make or seizing on his mental illness and then kind of getting into him and making him more and more entrenched in his behavior but the poor guy was completely out of control and jesus literally on seeing him commands these demons to come out and they're like we don't want to come out and then it's interesting as well that the demons recognize him 
and they knew exactly who Jesus was. They said, what do what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. Um, <clears throat> so then Jesus asked him, asked him, what is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. Well, there was a, uh, uh, I, I've forgotten how many soldiers were in a Roman legion, but it was a lot. And they, so he had a huge number of demonic personalities living inside him. And they begged him not, begged Jesus not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside and they begged him to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. I find this just an incredible passage. That, that number one, that there is this guy who is so obviously demonized and that the demons just can't help but confront Jesus and kind of are agitated by his presence on that particular, in that particular piece of geography, in that particular region. And then the, this thing where they say, don't cast us into the abyss. He knows, they know they're going to be cast out. They know their time is over. And they're saying, please, please don't cast us into the abyss. I don't even know what that is. Some people talk like they do know what it is. I don't think the Bible is particularly clear on what the abyss is that they're referring to. Good morning, Pat and Matthew. Thanks, Fran. A thousand in a legion. There's George, not very happy now. Ah, <laughs> uh, he's not feeling too great today. Um, so, but th this, this demonic thing, I just find fascinating because it is so against our kind of Western enlightenment mindset that we think, oh, you know, it's got to be rational. There must be a chemical imbalance, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, maybe that as well, but that what happens in this story is is profound in that Jesus casts these demons out and the guy is transformed as a result he's completely changed so anyway so then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned this is a major event, isn't it? And it would have been in all the... If it was now, it would be on all the local news channels. People would be filming it on their phones. It would be on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, everything. And an amazing event. Right, so then... Verse 34. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled. I'm oh, sure they did, and told it in the city and in the country. And then the people went out to see what had happened. And when they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, they were afraid. This is the, this to me is the key. When they come back and they see this guy who'd had this demonic problem completely normal he sat there clothed he's in his right mind he, it's he's back in charge of his body and his behavior these demonic imposters have been booted out and it does sound challenging to us doesn't it in our mod from our modern perspective because we try and kind of 
uh, what's the word? We try and go back over it and reinvent it, reconstruct it and think what must have actually happened scientifically. How about there are such a thing as demons and they do cause this kind of difficulty in people's lives sometimes and that word of authority from God is what is needed to break this stronghold. And remember one of the things Jesus said early on in um, chapter 4 was that he'd come to set the captives free. This to me is a perfect example of a spiritual captive being set free. Now I, I know lots of people who are not Christians who do believe in demons and they've got like quite a clear understanding that, that, that there is a spiritual realm. Um, I think we don't know so much about it and it's probably perilous to try to construct too much of a demonology because I think we can get sucked into a bit of a vortex with that one. But while they were marvelling at everything Jesus was doing, sorry, hold on. Oh, we're on a, I've, the wind has been turning my pages over for me. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerizims asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your house and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. So he wanted to stick with Jesus. Well, you would, wouldn't you? If you'd been set free from such a horrible, horrible affliction, you'd want to stick close to the person who'd got you free. Good morning. Um, good morning, Ruth. Great to see you. Um, and so, yeah, he, Jesus, you would want to stick close to the person who'd set you free from all of that torment and misery and uh, so but Jesus has other plans for him he says no you go away and tell everybody just go and spread the good news but the interesting thing is some people Jesus says no don't go and tell anybody <laughs> the guy with leprosy he says don't tell anyone as if he's going to follow that command but now here with this guy he says yeah go and tell everybody because it's great news and so he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. And now when Jesus returned, so bear in mind, we've, we, in Luke's little preface to this chapter, he was talking about the women who'd followed Jesus, who were with Jesus. And he was saying that some of them had been set free from demons. And so that gives you some insight into the kind of um, showdown that there may have been, although we don't get every time Jesus casts demons out of people they don't run off into pigs but it's just an interesting little kind of bigger picture of a demonic encounter verse 40 now when Jesus returned the crowd welcomed him for they were all waiting for him and there came a man named Jairus who was a ruler of the synagogue and falling at Jesus feet he implored him to come to his house for he had an only daughter about 12 years of age and she was dying. This is horrible, isn't it? <clears throat> and as Jesus went, the people pressed around him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. Interesting, the 12 there, 12 years old of daughter, 12 years of misery for this poor woman. And 
Though she had spent her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. That is beautiful, isn't it? And Jesus said, who is it that touched me? And when all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing on in on you. But Jesus said, someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. That's interesting. Jesus could feel something going on. Now, evangelical Christians are very cautious about feelings, but this is a kind of mystical thing that's going on here jesus is full of the spirit of god who you can't see you can see what he does you can feel the effect of him and jesus can feel a draw on the power of the spirit on him as this woman's healed i just find that absolutely fascinating and but but peter and he's like Come on, what a dumb question, Jesus. There's people all around you pressing in from every side. And uh, so anyway, so Jesus says, verse 46, but Jesus said, someone touched me for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when this woman saw she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, daughter your faith has made you well go in peace right so this little interaction has taken a few minutes off of the time where Jesus is on his way to heal a girl who is at the point of death so this is a very time sensitive situation and Jesus is getting delayed by this pesky woman who actually got a very real problem and a very real need and thank god that she gets healed because it's a fantastic liberation for her and remember jesus said the spirit is on me to bring good news to the poor this lady is now poor because all her money's gone because she spent everything she had on doctors you didn't have an nhs in those days and certainly not where they were and so she's literally penniless she's been healed because she reached out and touched the hem of Jesus's garment isn't that incredible and while he was so anyway he says go on you're done well done your faith has made you well verse 49 while he was still speaking someone from the ruler's house came and said your daughter is dead oh my what a trade-off this woman mm, 12 years of misery but now this guy's daughter, his only daughter, his only child is dead. <laughs> and your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, verse 50, on hearing this answered him, do not fear, only believe and she will be well. Now, Luke, the doctor, is helping us a little bit. He's saying there's something going on here. There is a transaction of faith between Jesus and the people he's healing this woman comes forward he says it was your faith that healed you well actually no kind of wasn't really it was the power of God that healed her but it was her faith that made her reach out and push her way through the crowds to and overcome her social uh, discomfort because she's considered to be unclean 
it was that faith that made her push through and receive the healing. So yes, it was her faith. It was still actually the power of God that made her well. But then this, so now we've got the dead girl and Jesus is saying, no, listen, only believe and she'll be well. Don't just believe in believers and believe in me, believe in my words. They're the ones that are going to make, this is what's going to make the difference. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the child. So he kind of observed good safeguarding practices, if you like. He made sure the mum and dad were there and he went in with his two kind of trusted guys who he knew would be full of faith. Or three, sorry, Peter and James and John. Mum and dad, and they were all weeping and mourning for her. But he said, do not weep. She's not dead, but sleeping. And you can imagine them what um and but taken so and they laughed at him knowing that she was dead so they had professional mourners in often that would come in and weep and wail and they when jesus said these they would have scoffed at him you've got to be nuts man and so taking her by the hand he called saying child arise and her spirit returned and she got up at once and he directed that something should be given her to eat. And her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. <laughs> yeah, I don't understand why. One guy, he says, yeah, tell everyone. Now they say, don't. Now he says, don't tell anyone. But of course, she was dead. So everyone knew she was dead. <laughs> um, I don't know. Anyway, wonderful story. Listen even that little glimmer of faith that makes you reach out and touch Jesus even if you're saying in your head I don't understand how this can possibly make a difference reach out in faith grab hold of Jesus say come on Jesus I believe you have got the power to heal me you've got the power to heal my wife my daughter my servant whoever it is who's my employee come on Let's activate our faith and reach out and touch Jesus today. God bless you. Have an amazing day. Sorry I've gone a bit long. I am super excited to be able to recommend to you my book, The Christing. It's a whole adventure of digging deep into the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, exploring stories that may be familiar to us, but just seeing how the power and the beautiful rich treasure of the holy spirit is there on every single page and my desire as i share my own stories is that we would get caught up in that adventure together of a life pursuing the supernatural god where anything becomes possible when we're full of his holy spirit And so my prayer for you as you read this book is that you'll get excited to embark on your own voyage of discovery with him. But more than anything else, that you would fall more in love with Jesus. So please, if you have not got a copy, do buy one. You can get it online on all the major um, online bookstores, including Amazon, Eden and others. You can buy it from Christian bookshops. And, or you can message me and get your own signed copy. There you go. But do like it and review it because that really, really does help. Thank you so much.